Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. It's good to be with you. You guys sound nice. Hey, I um, I was thinking about this and like making pulling an audible with this, but I'm really curious. How many of you knew what you wanted to do when you grew up? Like, I'm gonna see some hands. All right. Okay, and don't be too hard on yourself. If you had a fairly general idea, you know, maybe you wavered. Keep them up. How many of you? didn't change it, but you are now doing what you envisioned when you were a kid? How, like, okay, we're down to about five, six, seven, uh, maybe. Okay, all right, good. That's what I figured. Uh, it's it's kind of rare. You can put your hands down now, all right. It, it's, it's rare for, for people to, like, it's not rare to know what you want to do when you grow up. I wanted to be a drummer, and I wanted to be a Secret Service agent. All right, and it kind of went back and forth. I have an uncle who's actually, side note, Tim McCarthy, 1981, was the Secret Service agent who took the bullet for President Reagan when he was shot. He, he saved his life. It's all me. It's all me. No, all right. Seriously. Okay, so that's one reason I want to be a Secret Service agent. You know, you can only guard the president if you take a bullet. You cannot continue to guard the president because you know what it feels like to take a bullet. Interesting. So he went and guarded Nancy Reagan after that. <laughs> Shows you how much he cares for his wife. Um, okay, back to the subject. So I thought I knew what I wanted, but then I got to college. I changed majors four times because it's hard to decide what you want to be. My kids, 12, 8, and 7, they know what they want to be as of now. Like my son, my 12-year-old, wants to be a neuroscientist because he heard recently from asking like, okay, Google, which doctor gets paid the most, and so he wants to be a neuroscientist. He's really into that for like three weeks maybe, and then he'll move on to my, my middle son wants to be a rancher, and my daughter, who's seven, wants to be a dentist for girls. <laughs> like, okay, I wasn't sure if she meant like a girl dentist or a dentist for girls, but she, I was like, why don't you specialize that a little more? Like, I, I only work on molars in May and June and July, you know, Okay, I'm not going to press that, though. She's just, that's what she wants to do for now. And, and you, you just kind of sit back and let that put a little fuel into them and, and then watch them change it a bunch. But the thing is, as you get closer, you want to have a clearer vision of what you're doing. And how many of you still are wondering, what do I want to do when I grow up? All right. Yeah, I figured it'd be a lot of hands. Because you're wondering, did I, did I aim this right? Am I, have I landed? Is this what you've got for me? And, and there's this uncertainty of like, am I supposed to be happy with where I landed? It was, it's, it was terrifying. I remember graduating, I went to TCU and I was studying psychology and I started applying for grad schools for counseling and the closer I got, the more I was like, I'm not sure I would really enjoy, I'm, I'm kind of ADD, could I listen to people's problems all day? And started getting second thoughts and it got, it got scary as I got closer, but if it wasn't the career, then it was uh, dating was terrifying. Because you feel like you're, you know, this is kind of a long commitment. You better get this right, uh, especially if it turns into marriage. But all the while, 
this desire is what we're looking for is contentment. And it seems to be evasive. It's elusive. You're kind of chasing it and you might achieve a goal, but as soon as you get it, you don't even realize that like you've redrawn another goal for contentment. The contentment is like chasing your tail and you constantly find yourself looking to the next chapter to, to bring it. And what makes it harder is we're constantly getting bombarded, whether it's social media or just walking around, you see people who are, who are broadcasting their contentment all the time. Look at my great career choices and, oh, I just, I just got promoted to this job or I got this internship and I'm loving it. And you're, you, know, you got the same internship and you're wondering, am I supposed to love it too? And then you, 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 you see people who are, live these exciting social lives. They're taking adventurous trips. They've got amazing style. They seem to like whip up some magical meal for their, themselves when you're eating a Hot Pocket. And there's, there's all this stuff. There's creativity. People who are faithful to go to the gym for three hours a day, and they, they broadcast that. For me, it was always the attractive new girlfriends. When I was, uh, you know, I was single, I thought I was getting, getting married around 23, and that didn't work out so well. And, uh, and I actually praise God now because of it. But from 23 to 29, there was this long gap of like, what's wrong? All my friends are getting getting their soulmates and, and getting engaged and getting married. And then when I met Brandy, uh, it was, you know, a honeymoon season for a while. You get married, you get used to it. And then it's like, why is everybody else getting pregnant? We're trying to get pregnant here. And it, there's always people who are getting what you want all the time. And I guarantee if I had a one-on-one conversation with every single one of us, every single one of you, there would be something it would be different, but that something takes center stage in your mind. And it makes you wonder, God, are you holding out on me? Is, is, are, are you waiting for me to get something? Are you waiting for me to be content in you, and then I'll meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, which I hate when people say that. Um, there's all these things that make us wonder, how do I get content? Unmet expectations and hopes just dog us. So I want to I want to talk about the nagging problem of discontentment. I want to define contentment just for clarity's sake. Contentment, I, would, I think of it as like soul satisfaction. It's just like, oh, it's, it's this restful peace that I'm, ha- I'm good. It, this is, it's not necessarily happiness. Happiness comes and goes. A happy person can be happy but discontent. A content person can be unhappy because the mood comes and goes, but the, the contentment is a deeper sense that, God, you're taking care of me, and it frees you from this driving need for more. Being freed from this nagging, driving need that I need to get something else in order for things to be good. So you can be content with things missing in your life. You can be content and be in a job that you don't like. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4, 11 and 12, like, I've learned the secret of contentment. I, I've learned how to live with plenty and live in want. I've learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, if you try to find the meaning of contentment right there, it's a little confusing because the whole letter is about contentment. That's kind of his big conclusion. He learned where to find contentment. And I want to look where to find contentment as well. Um, I'm going to look in the Psalms. We get to listen to a man named Asaph in Psalm 73. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 73. Asaph is a godly 
worship leader during the time of King David. And this guy, he's written a lot of Psalms, uh, godly by every definition, I believe. But when you listen in to his personal journal, and he's going to get vulnerable with us, he does not sound godly. He sounds whiny, uh, He's green with envy. He's discontent through and through for the first half. And I love it because he just lets us in. But we get to learn how to handle it through a man who's really wrestling with discontentment. And I will say this. By the way, I meant to say this about contentment. Contentment is a vertical disposition. Like you understand that God's taking care of you, but that vertical rest colors the way you see the horizontal. Things good, bad things happen, but it's all informed by what you understand God is doing. That's, that's contentment. Now, I'm not trying to give away the ending by giving you that. I, I want clarity as to what we're talking about. So Asaph is discontent. And where I'm going to go is, might be something for some of you uh, isn't the prescription you're ready to take. Because I, I understand that some of you might not be like, you might not call yourself a Christian. Maybe you're, you're checking this out. Maybe you know you're not a Christian, and, and I, I, I love that you're here. First of all, I have a heart for non-Christians because I was like, I was an atheist until I was 19. I mean, from 16 to 19. I wasn't like an atheist at three. Um, but I really like, I loved debating with Christians, and I, I was, you know, when I, when I came to Christ, I, I remember uh, I still distinctly remember a lot of the misgivings and the, the challenges I had with believing, this easy believism and this, this contentment that I saw in the Christians around me, I read as, it, I thought it was fake. And the thing is, it might be. If you, I'm speaking to you as if you're non-Christian. You might think that all these, all these Christians around me, look, they look so happy all the time. And they might be happy, but they might be pretending and they might be pretending and not even know it. The thing is, Asaph lets us in to show us it is quite natural to be discontent or struggling with deep unhappiness and self-pity as a, as a believer. And so I love that it's just, it lets you in to kind of see behind the curtain. But what I would say is, outside of Christ, there really isn't a good solution to this problem. There is not a good solution to this problem for good reason. So just listen in, and I hope this is a blessing to you. So let's, let's look at the problem of discontentment. So Psalm 73, verse 1, starts saying, it's a psalm of Asaph, and he says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So for the record, Asaph has good theology. Truly God's good to Israel. I know that up here, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I, I was going through a big season. He's looking back on this. I was going through a season where I almost fell away from my faith. A major disconnect occurred between what I knew to be true and what I felt, what I actually believed. And this, 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 this disconnect almost took him out. So what was the disconnect? Verse 3. For, for, because I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph wasn't envious of the arrogant, period. No, he was envious of the prosperity of the wicked, of the prosperity of the arrogant. He, he was arrogant, he was envious of their perceived like 
well-being, you know, that they, 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 they've got it all. And, and Asaph is saying foul. I mean, foul ball. They, 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 these guys don't deserve it. They're arrogant and they're wicked, and yet they're getting everything that I want. And so he goes on. Verse 4, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Don't be thrown off by that word fat. I mean, that meant that they, they took care of themselves. They're well fed, and they looked good. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind, so they seem to be immune from trouble. Verse 6, therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. I take that to mean they step over other people to get what they want. And they're just proud of themselves. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their, their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, the people turn, therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. This is a confusing verse right there at the end, but his people, it could be God's people, it could be their people, but what I see is that these full of themselves, know-it-all, cocky people, they, they've got a following and everyone agrees they're awesome. These are your Old Testament influencers, basically. So they've got it all together. And verse 11, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? I mean, behold, here's his conclusion. These are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. They've got easy lives, full of luxury. There's no constraining rules for them to live by. They do what they want. They enjoy themselves. They've got it all. Do you know anyone like this? Does anybody come into your mind? I thought about it and I was like, can I throw out some examples? And everybody I came up with, I was like, that's going to be dated. I, I could try to throw out some examples. It's going to hit with some of you and miss with others. I'll, I'll say this. I know when I feel this, it's usually pictures of people in California. <laughs> Just to be perfectly honest. Like, they're all beautiful they're always by the beach and six-pack abs. And, I, and I'm, I always feel like my life's so lame. You know? If you're from California, I love you. It's just envy, all right? Wicked people. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. It could be like rock stars or, you know, like carefree, cocky lifestyles of people. I would say it this way. Their existence seems to mock you, and, and their successes push the buttons that make you feel incomplete and, and discontent. And it's nobody's fault necessarily, but I, I mean, I've been struggling with this as far back as I remember. I remember seventh grade, I was on the football team. My good friend Jeremy Plague and I were, uh, it, we were, it was a good team. And, and uh, over the summer, we worked out every day together. It just lifted weights and we were both getting pretty strong. And you can tell. <laughs> and... And then coming to the first day of practice, eighth grade football, um, Coach Shabasik is standing there with his, you know, notepad and his, what are those, those right, short, what? okay, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm walk, Jeremy and I are walking up to him, and Coach Shabasik is like, look who's been working out, Jeremy, you look good, you know, and, and I'm like, I didn't do this, I was like thinking, I, I can lift more than him, like, it wouldn't have bugged me at all if he didn't compliment anybody. But the fact that he complimented Jeremy and not me was like a dagger, right? It just 
that stung. Now, fast forward a few years, my good friend, my best friend, Rick Heimendinger, I can't make that up if I tried, got invited to Cree Johansson's party sophomore year in high school. And now Cree was in another realm. And I, I didn't expect to get invited, but the fact that Rick got invited, again, I was stabbed in the back. Nobody did anything wrong, but it was, it was a cosmic that, that hurt. It hurt deeply. And, you know, it went on with dating. And like I said, as I, I go into those years in my 20s, it, it was always why am I not yet with somebody? Are my standards too high or am I just awkward or what? And then it was having kids. It happened a lot with the career. Sometimes I feel like, am I not getting promoted because I'm short, you know, or whatever. I was too transparent, but (laughs) I've had that thought. So we all have it. We all have these things. Well, how does it fly with Asaph? Where does he go with, his, with this envy that's eaten him up? Well, he says in verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Following you, God, has been pointless. Worse than pointless, for all, day, all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. So not only is, is Asaph not getting the good things he wants, he's actually... He's getting, as a reward, a life of pain and heartache. I've followed you all of these years for what? So Asaph is evaluating God in light of his circumstances, and God's not looking good. Do you ever wonder, you think, I believe God's good, but he's not really good to me. Some of us, we think that, but we don't even know we think that, because it's not really right. And we know that, right? Can you relate to this? Maybe your discontentment looks different than Asaph's. Maybe it's not envy, but instead it's, it's, uh, it's a, an out-of-control or out-of-check ambition. You, you, you don't know when to stop, you know? You've got ambition because there's, there's a lust for something, that you want to succeed. You want, you're, you're coveting something that God hasn't yet given you, but you're convinced if you just put the pedal to the metal and just go for it, it will, you'll get it, but you don't know when to stop or how to rest. That's, that's a form of discontentment. There's, there's also self-pity is a big one. Just feeling sorry for yourself. Like you, you deserve something that's not coming to you, and, and that can turn into apathy. Apathy is a big one, where you just kind of stop caring, and you just want to just kind of check out. The, Discontentment is one of those big umbrella things that can show up depending on our place in life, our, um, our temperament, whatever it might be, or where we are in what we're receiving, right? Because some of you are discontent and you have everything you want. That's the most scary kind of discontentment. I hear the most terrifying thing I've heard, I don't remember where I heard this, but is the day after winning a gold medal. An Olympic athlete wins a gold medal. The next day sometimes is the most surprising depression because they realize, I still feel incomplete. Or when, a, when an actor or actress becomes famous, they have their big break, and the next day they still feel insecure. We, we're convinced that it's, something's going to satisfy us, and it doesn't. And, but all I can say is it's clear discontentment is dangerous. I, I put some things together on the danger of discontentment. Here's some dangerous things about it. First of all, discontentment deceives. It deceives us. 
It, it feels right to us, but it actually it distorts reality. Here's an evidence. Uh, verse 3, uh, Asaph said, I, I envied the prosperity of the wicked. Though that word prosperity is in Hebrew, it's shalom. I don't know if you've ever heard the word shalom. Shalom is not just like a financial well-being, but it is a form of uh, 100% total well-being, that you have everything that you want. You, you, you're whole. You're at peace. And here's what's hard about this. So Asaph is looking at these people thinking that they have shalom, they've got prosperity, but he's comparing the inside of himself to the outside of others. And we all do that. We compare what we feel and what we know about ourselves secretly with what other people are broadcasting. And nobody broadcasts, you know, Friday night, I'm watching Netflix and having a, my second hot pocket. Nobody puts that on social media, right? But everybody puts like, you know, you know where I'm going with that. We're often, <laughs> sorry, we're often envying people who are pretty miserable, frankly. Okay, next one, discontentment disorders our expectations. And I think that's related to it's deceiving us. Imagine, this is a lame, I couldn't think of an example, but imagine I told you, I'm, I'm going to send you on a trip, I'm going to put you in a really nice penthouse suite. You get there, and you find out it's just a regular room at the La Quinta. You're going to think, this sucks, right? What if I told you, hey, I need you to go on a trip, but the plate, it's a jail cell. And you get there, and you get put in a posh La Quinta hotel. Same room, right? It's the same room, but your expectation colors your experience, right? A lot of us have expectations of God that he should, like following him should lead to a sweet, easy, fulfilled life. I mean, if you kind of bought into that, following God, he's going to bless me. He's going to give me what I hope for and, and what I want. But in reality, God never promised us this type of contentment with things around us, with the relationships and more on that in a minute. Here's another one. Discontentment dethrones God. Instead of God being at the center of our lives and our, and our affections, that missing ingredient takes center stage. So discontentment says, I deserve blank. You fill in the blank. And then you begin to question God's goodness because he's not providing it. And then that leads to a justification for if you're not going to take care of me, God, I'll take care of myself. I'll take care of it myself. That dethrones God, and as a result, it destroys. Discontentment destroys. I was going to say discontentment sucks, the joy out of life. But it didn't start with a D. So discontentment destroys. It, caught, it, it almost caused Asaph to fall away. It's, if you consider Adam and Eve, they were in the garden, perfect fellowship with God. They were naked, not ashamed. They had like, the perfect marriage. They had a garden of delights. Dominion over creation, perfect job description, yet that one thing they couldn't have took center stage and destroyed paradise. Lucifer, going even back before that, chief ranking angel, he's you know, top of his game in heaven, but he wanted what God had, and that's what took him out. If, if discontentment could almost take Asaph out, it could destroy paradise with Adam and Eve, it could, take, it could make heaven feel incomplete. Imagine what it can do in our lives. So discontentment, it destroys by causing us to miss out on God and all that's truly good. And the fact is, this life was never meant to satisfy. It, that's why discontentment always grows into an all-consuming mindset, because we're pursuing satisfaction when it's a moving target. 
There's something built into the human experience that makes contentment extremely elusive by God's grace. God is being good to us that we can't find contentment here. He's being good. By God's grace, apart from him, contentment is impossible. I don't know if you've heard the quote from Augustine, our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. I'm going to rip that off and say our hearts are discontent. Our, Our hearts are dissatisfied until we find satisfaction in him. It's true. So, so what's the solution? So how do we deal with it? Well, look at Asaph. He, he picks up in verse 15. This is a kind of a transition verse here. He says, If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand it, it seems to me a wearisome task. So he's starting to realize, like, this was all going on. Verses 1 through 14 was all going on in my heart and in my mind. I knew that if I talked about this out loud, I would have done some real damage. He's an influential leader. And I think, bravo, Asaph. That's some real good restraint. He didn't make an official complaint. It just was in his mind. But he was thinking about it. And the more he thought about it, the more he, it just wore him out because you couldn't come to an answer. But that's the first good thing he was doing. So the solution of discontentment, we're already seeing the solution. One, Asaph wrestled with his discontentment. He wrestled with it. He was wrestling, verses 1 through 14, he's wrestling with it. He's acknowledging it. He's facing it. He articulated his feelings. This is infinitely better than just having discontentment and quietly shoving it down, denying it. I'm sure we all do this, like we numb it. We distract ourselves. We play a game on our phone. We watch something on Netflix. We find out what's going on and go do it and just get productive. We find ways from just kind of hit the mute button on that discontentment. Don't acknowledge it because you're not supposed to have it, right? Well, no, acknowledge it, face it, infinitely better. The other, you you can numb it and and deny it. That's one unhealthy way to deal with it. The other unhealthy way to deal with it is to, to believe it and say, I'm discontent because I'm not getting what I'm supposed to get, and I'm going to shake my fist at the heavens, and I'm going to renounce my faith and just believe your discontentment, right? So these feelings should inform us. You don't hit the mute button. You don't follow them as if they're authority either. He acknowledges it. And then secondly, he takes it to God. So this, he says, this was beating me down until verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. That's where the turning point happened. And that's where it's always going to happen, is until I come into the presence of God. And if you're like me, going to God is one of your last resorts. I hate to say it, but I hate that that's the case, but it's true. I don't go to God first thing. Eventually, I start to learn to go to him quicker, but it's, it's better to gripe and whine to God than let it fester and grow. It's better to take it to God than to try to make sense of it on your own. And, and this is what the whole book of Psalms really does, is it shows us how to take some really raw, toxic feelings and go to God with it. You don't clean yourself up, polish yourself, and find some good vocabulary and go to him. You go to him and you yell if you need to. You go to him and you weep if you need to. You go to him and, and uh, you can even say things that, that have bad theology, um, Psalm 13 is my, the easiest example. It says, how long, O Lord, will you keep forgetting me? 
How long must I take counsel in my own soul? David is saying that. And God could have said, sit down, David. I don't forget anything. He doesn't. God listens because David feels like God has forgotten him. But God is the perfect listener. Ladies, you want to marry a husband who can listen to you even if what you're saying isn't rational? I'm saying that because I, mean, I'm a, I counsel couples all the time. And I, so often you hear like, well, what she said wasn't rational. It's like, she doesn't need to be rational. Let her give, get her feelings out. You're not on trial, right? God's not on trial when we go to him. He listens perfectly. No human being can receive you the way God can receive you when you're down. And if anything, Asaph models, I was down and, I, and it, it didn't go right until I went to God. And that's what you see over and over and over in the Psalms. So I love Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is a refuge to us. He's trustworthy. He's safe. Pour out your heart to him. And so wrestle with it and take it to God, because it will be dead-end wrestling until you take it to God. Tell him what you're discontent about. Tell him how you feel like you're being screwed, if that's the rawness of it, whatever. That's about as bad language as I'm willing to say right here. What does this look like for non-Christians, by the way? How would a, if, you're, if you're not a believer, how would you apply this? All I would say is this. Um, you don't have to fully agree with everything that I'm believing and saying here to say you probably still have these same feelings, right? You still have the same discontentment. Who do you go to? Are you going to look to another person to get you in your envy or in your self-pity? Or do you talk to yourself? Can I just venture out to say, like, just say, God, if you're as good as they say you are, then I need you to hear this. <laughs> and just pray. Just talk to him. And the worst thing that can happen is you just talk to yourself. But the thing is, you find that maybe he is actually listening. And you find something happening in your soul. But I would just challenge you, pray. I, it's not going to kill you. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, by the way, that's how I, that was the first step toward becoming a Christian for me. I was an atheist, got into a debate with this guy, and he had some good answers. And I remember him saying, is it possible you could be wrong? I was like, yeah, it's possible, I guess. He goes, why don't you go up to your room and just say, God, if you're real, uh, then reveal yourself to me. And I went up to my room and I remember saying, like, I respected him enough to say, yeah, okay, God, if you're real, if Jesus is the Son of God, then reveal that to me. I remember being sincere. Nothing happened right then. He answered it two months later. Back to my sermon. <laughs> Third, wake up to reality. Wake up to reality. Asaph wakes up to two realities, eternity and God's, and, and his own blindness. Eternity. He has been envying people destined for destruction. Look at verse 17. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You, you make them fall to ruin. How, how they're destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when, when you arouse, rouse yourself, not, not arouse, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as, as phantoms. That's the worst Freudian slip ever. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. For the wicked, the wor this world is home. 
Okay, but Asaph comes to realize this. These people he's envying, this is their home. For some people, like people thumbing their nose at God, this life is the closest thing to heaven they're going to experience. For himself and for people who are in Christ, who are following him, this life is the closest thing to hell you're ever going to experience. And then one moment, like verse 19, in a moment, suddenly, we're going to wake up. And for some people, you're in a dream. It's a sweet dream right now. You're going to wake up in a nightmare. I hate to say it. For those of us who are struggling, you're going to wake up, then we're home. So if, if you're not a believer, I, I, enjoy this life. It's the, it's the, it's, this is the best it gets. If you are a believer, endure this life. This is the worst it gets. It's huge. So he wakes up to that, but then he also wakes up to his own blindness. He's been deluded by his own self-pity. Verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when it was soured, resentful, cynical, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. He, he was like a cow, is what he's saying. What, what do cows do all day? They chew the cud. They, they, they chew. And where are they looking He's looking down all the time. Cows don't look up much. They don't look up, and they don't consider eternity very often either. <laughs> just think about the here and now. I, when I was British and ignorant, I was just thinking about this. And so am I. So are we, right? When we, we forget, we've got to wake up to reality, and with that, escape to reality by worshiping God escape to reality by worshiping God. He says in verse 23, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Like my foot had nearly slipped. You know what though? You had my right hand the whole time. And you could be doing really poorly in the contentment category. If you've trusted in Christ, he's got you. He's faithful. He's faithful and when you haven't been faithfully finding your joy in him, and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you've just been loving the things around you. He's got you by your right hand. He's good. He guides you with his counsel. Afterward, he's going to take you into glory. God, you've been good to me. You're being good to me. You're going to be good to me forever. You'll receive me into glory. Whom, I, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Heaven, apart from you, cannot satisfy me, God much less earth. It's only you. Verse Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's our delight. Verse 26, he says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Trouble may hit you. My, your flesh may fail. You, you may die. You may lose all, but nothing is lost. You have him. He has you. Verse 27, concluding, he says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Guys, contentment, the assurance that God has supplied your needs, he releases you from an unrelenting desire for more, it's found in him. Asaph, the first half of that psalm, he's been evaluating God in light of his circumstances. God is less than good. But then, second half, he begins evaluating his circumstances in light of an unchanging God. 
and it changed, his circumstances didn't change. He saw his circumstances through who God is. And you know what? When you start to find contentment in him, you begin to interact with your circumstances differently. You become more wise, more loving, more caring, right? less, more self-forgetful, more able to love people. If you're going to meet someone you want to marry, would you rather meet that person when you're content in Christ and not desperately hungry for a mate? <laughs> would you like to meet them when you're like yourself, content in him, ready to forget about yourself and love somebody else? Is God maybe being gracious to you and withholding some things from you until you can find more contentment in him? And by the way, nobody here, myself being chief among them, is good at this. We're not good at this. The, the, the fact is, though, he is good. If I can give you one practical step, because I don't expect you to remember this. Maybe Psalm 73 that I said arouse. Maybe you'll remember that. Remember this. When you're struggling with discontentment, give thanks to God. Just start giving thanks. If you're frustrated with your roommate, try, instead of replaying all the things that they do and the way they leave the dishes and eat your M&Ms and all that stuff, instead of replaying those wrongs, start saying, thank you for giving me a roommate. Like, and that quirky personality, and I love that we both get to watch Parks and Recreation together, and just start thanking God for the gift of your roommate, and see what happens to your outlook on that. If you find yourself uh, hating your car, well, thank God for the, uh, your 2010 Honda Accord. I'm talking about my car. Um, start thanking him for the things that you are prone to be upset about. Uh, here's one, lust. If you're lusting, you know that gratitude and lust can't exist at the same time. Lust is a disposition of, I, I, there's something that I'm supposed to have. Gratitude is, you've been gracious to me and given me more than I deserve. I find myself sometimes hit with a craving of lust. And what do I do? If I just try to wrestle with that, it doesn't really, it doesn't go that well. But if I start giving thanks instead of trying to just push away that craving, thanks starts to warm and melt my heart and I find a different joy because I'm looking for joy. Lust can sometimes be the escape from my stress to make me feel like oh, I got a little joy. Well, that's not a good joy. It's a very polluted joy. But gratitude it gives you a different way. So give thanks to God when you feel you're wrestling with contentment. And I'll, let me just close on this note. This is a command that we find our contentment in him, that we delight in him, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart. Uh, the, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Tenth commandment, you shall not covet what God hasn't given you. Like this is an important commandment. Uh, who's the only person who really obeyed this? Jesus, right? Perfectly. Total contentment in his father his whole life. Who's the one person who shouldn't have fallen away but did fall away? Jesus held on to God, but God let go of him to let him slip and experience our condemnation so that we could be held on to him. We who are not faithful to find our contentment in him can be found in him. Jesus, he, he suffered so that when we're suffering, we can actually be made like him, not so that we can fall away. Like in Christ, we are held faithfully because Jesus was let go. God let go of his own son so that, so that we can be faithfully held on to. We have a good God. 
infinite reasons to praise him and to give, to give him thanks. Um, as I close, uh, uh, Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. If there's a prayer, I'm going to pray that over you so that that can be the source of your contentment. Hope in the God who is filling you with all joy and peace, not in changing your circumstances, but helping you believe that he is good, filling you with hope. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are the God of hope, that you, um, that you fill us, potentially, you can fill us with all joy and peace, knowing that you have us, you're taking care of us, you're providing for us, and just believing who you are and what you're doing, I pray that it fills us in such a way that it colors the way we view our lives, whether they're complete or incomplete, whether there's things we want to change or not. I pray that the foundation of our joy, of our contentment would be in you. Help us to repent. Help us to turn away from the other things that we're looking to to fill us up. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.